Amen. Good evening. We'll be in, uh, we'll start off in Second uh, Corinthians tonight, and then we'll do some verses in Matthew also. Has, uh, it seems like it's been happening to me an awful lot lately. Has it ever happened to you where you just, you see the same verse or the same passage or teaching, you know, several times in one day or one week, month, or whatever, the same thing keeps, it's been happening to me a lot lately. I don't know what's going on, but it was interesting this morning. I was, you know, reading my Bible out on the porch. And my last ver- or last chapter I read was uh, Hebrews 13, and I came into church, and the first thing Brother Mike says is, open to Hebrews 13. Just, you know, it's just cool stuff like that's been going on a lot lately. But uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse uh, 10, the Bible says, uh, To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. You've heard the, everybody's heard the term divide and conquer. You know, uh, we hear that term a lot. And when I hear that nowadays, uh, I usually tend to think of it in the political realm. You know, we hear of um, all the, the global elites and whatnot. You know, uh, I think they are up to no good trying to uh, turn the American people against each other by pushing things like you know, racism, LGBT, whatever, Black Lives Matter, the transgender, all this stuff, you know, it's a divide and conquer strategy because if if they can get the people of our country, you know, infighting, mad at each other all the time, well then, you know, we're not we're not focused on them, right? And, uh, you know, we're, we're called to live as, as much, uh, as the Bible says, uh, not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, but to, as much as possible, live peaceably with all men. But actually, the, the term divide and conquer is actually an old military term. Uh, there, it's been used throughout history, and a lot of um, military commanders, generals, have been uh, very successful using this. Uh, Stonewall Jackson, I think of, uh, he did it a lot, and uh, Napoleon was famous for using it, some of the old Roman generals. Uh, but what they would usually do is, you know, the armies at that time would be separated, uh, sometimes by many miles, but they would have their scouts out, you know, watching each other. And the, the, one of the problems that military commanders have always had to deal with is how do you, how do you defeat a superior force? You know, if you have 6,000 troops, how are you going to defeat a force of, you know, say 9,000 troops? Well, one, one of their tactics is they would, if you had an army of 6,000 men, you might split your forces up into three groups of 2,000 troops. And of course, the, the enemy, the, the scouts that are watching you, would uh, see you do that and report back to their generals, and they might think that you're trying to do some kind of a pincer movement, or maybe you're going to flank them on this side and set up an ambush over here, something like that. So generally, the, the, the other side's general would split his forces as well to match whatever you have done. Okay, so you'd have maybe three groups of 2,000 against, uh, if he had 9,000 troops, then you'd have three groups of 3,000 on the other side. But then whenever, uh, you know, the, in the middle of the night or sometime when the enemy's not paying attention, you would recombine your forces against one-third of the other enemy's army that they had already split up and then attack, right? So now you've got your full 6,000 troops against uh, 3,000, and then, you, you know, you could win battles that way. And in this, in this passage here, uh, in, in verse 11, he says, "'Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices.'" He says that in the context of verse 10 where he's talking about, you know, to whom you forgive anything, I forgive it also. Let's just, let's forgive each other, move on. We don't want to have animosity towards each other in the church. That, that tells us that one of Satan's devices in the church then is this, this thing of unforgiveness. 
you know, where we don't want to forgive somebody. It's in the body of Christ that may have wronged us in some way, maybe said something. And if you think about it, we are the superior force in the spiritual realm. Because, you know, think of when, when Jesus was, you know, he, he said uh, when he was being arrested, you know, he could, if he wanted to, called on the Lord and had him deliver him legions of angels to help him, right? You think of Elisha. He was, you know, his, his servant, you know, they thought they were surrounded. He said, oh, Lord, open his eyes that he can see. And there was chariots and horses all around them from the Lord, right? We have the superior force here, right? So what does the devil do? Well, he needs to do a divide and conquer strategy if he wants to make headway in the church, right? Now, Many people today would, would use the term family to describe all kinds of different groups. Um, you know, I've, I've gone into maybe different workplaces, uh, places like that where they might say something like, you know, we're, we're all family here. And, you know, that sounds nice, but really, you know, the, the family is the original institution set, forth up, uh, set, set up by God, you know, in the, in the Garden of Eden. And the only, the only other entity that the Bible would use those terms and to describe as a family is his church, right? It says that we're all, we're all brothers and sisters is what the Bible calls us, okay? So really the church, when you're talking about a family, the only other thing that really compares then is the church. So I'm going to go now to Matthew chapter 5, this uh, Sermon on the Mount, and we'll read in verse 43. Jesus says, You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor, and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. So Jesus says that we're supposed to treat our enemies, people that hate us because we're Christians, people that would spit on us, persecute us on the street or whatever, do things to Jesus says we're supposed to love those people. These, these teachings in the Sermon on the Mount are, are very basic. You know, I, I remember when I first got saved, I would, I would read through these, and, and it was like the light was coming on, like, wow, that, that's right. You know, this, this makes a lot of sense. That this, is, this is different, you know. But if, we, if, if Jesus Christ expects us to treat our enemies that way, how would he then expect us to treat brothers and sisters in the church, Right? Now, it, it, as a parent, you know, I know I've made the comment before, but it always amazes me how, how closely the, the parenting, you know, the parent-child relationship mirrors our, our relationship to the Lord, you know. And anybody with children, you know, multiple children can probably attest that it, it really pains me, it grieves me when I see my children not getting along, you know, fighting about something. And that, that, that pains me to see that. And, and sometimes they'll, they'll just, you know how it is, they'll come and, you know, well, he said this, or, you know, she did that, and he took this. And, and sometimes as a parent, you're just like, stop. You know, I, I, at, at this point, I don't care who did what, I don't care who's right, who's wrong, just stop, right? And when God says that we're to be together, we're to be like a family here in the church, like brothers and sisters, how do you think that it might make him feel when he sees us not getting along with each other, Right? It, and i got to admit, it, it pains me if I ever see people in the church that don't get along with each other, right? And, and I understand, everybody understands, in a, in a church, especially one our size, you're going to have times that you don't see eye to eye with somebody else, right? Uh, some of us say dumb things now and then, right? You know, I, I have a, I remember when I was growing up, 
My mom used to tell me, she said, you know, because I, I, I got did dumb things and get in trouble, but she said, you know, the thing that gets you in trouble more than anything else is your mouth. <laughs> you don't know when to shut up, right? And, and it was, she was right. She did. My mouth got me in trouble more than anything else. I, I say dumb things sometimes and put my foot in my mouth. Sometimes I might say something that came out as offensive or whatever, and I may not have even meant it to, just, it, you know, sometimes I try to make a joke or whatever, it comes out the wrong way. Those things happen. You know, they happen in the church just as much as anywhere else. But, you know, God gives us, he's got a prescribed method for dealing with those things. He knew when he set up his church that, that people were going to have differences, that people were going to say stupid things sometimes. He knew that. Look in, uh, in Proverbs chapter 19. There's a good verse uh, back here for this. One of my favorite Proverbs, really. Proverbs uh, 19, verse 11. He says, The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. So, somebody that has discretion, has, they're, they're wise. You know, they, have, they don't you know, rush to judgment. They, they th- you know, think about what they're going to say before they say it. Somebody with discretion, it says here that somebody with discretion defers his anger. Puts it off. You know, well, maybe that person didn't mean that the way it came out. You know, maybe they really didn't mean to offend me. Maybe I can, just, I can just let that go. It says in the second part of the verse, it is his glory to pass over a transgression. You know, are you able to do that tonight? If somebody transgresses against you, are you able to just sometimes pass it over if it's really not that important, right? So this is, this is numero uno in God's plan for dealing with, with trouble in the church. Maybe you can just drop it. You know, that would be great if you're able to do that, okay? And when you, if you do drop it, that means you drop it. You know, you don't keep your mouth shut but then stew over it all day and, you know, think about it. And, and that, no, you just you drop it and forget about it, okay? It also means you don't uh, gossip behind your brother's back and maybe try to recruit people to your side on whatever issue it may be, okay? Spreading gossip can be forgiven. Don't want to, you know, act like it can't be. But sometimes when you, when you go to talking about a brother or sister behind their back, the damage has been done, and it's like trying to put toothpaste back in the tube at that point, you know. So it's, it's better off to not go down that road to begin with. Look back in Matthew and chapter 18, in verse 15. He says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. So there's number two. If, you, if, you, if it's something that's just bothering you, you cannot drop this thing, go talk to your brother about it, right? It's very simple. Again, these, these are basic teachings, you know. But go talk it out, you know. Don't just run away and, and let, let things bottle up inside. It's, things are much better dealt with than left to stew over, Okay. Verse 16, he goes on, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. So if somebody doesn't want to hear you when you try to go talk to them, take a couple other brothers with you. You know, maybe have a little meeting or something. This is, this is, these are the words of Jesus Christ. This is his prescribed method for dealing with problems in his church. It's his church, right? He knows how to deal with it. And then he keeps on going. He says, and if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. So if somebody doesn't want to listen to you, they don't want to listen to a group of you, they don't want to listen to the church, well then maybe it's time for church discipline where they need to be uh, put out for a little while until they can repent or whatever. But you know, honestly, 
I think probably, don't you agree, 99% of the time it would never even get to that point if we would just talk to each other about our problems sometimes? I think so, right? Yeah. James, in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust that war in your members? You know, so these, uh, in, in this passage here I just read from Jesus where he's talking about taking brothers with you, it almost kind of assumes that you're the one in the right. You know, maybe there's times where, you know, we have, you know, maybe, this, maybe our brother's done us a little bit of wrong, but maybe we were at fault too, right? We, we've, we, have to, we can't have a circular firing squad in the church. We've got enough enemies out there as it is, right? In, in the world, we have, we have people that hate us. You know, those people I mentioned at the beginning, the, the LGBT crowd and whatnot, they, they hate our guts. But, you know, the Bible says, really, they're not truly our enemies. They're, our real enemies is this, the uh, principalities and powers and, and forces of darkness out there, right? We have enough of that to deal with as it is without, you know, tearing each other apart in the church, if you think about it, would you, if you're going to combat, like a real shooting war, you know, would you start shooting your own guys because you didn't like the way they polished their boots? You know, or you don't like the decor in the tank or whatever, you know what I mean? Are you going to go after your brothers when you've got a real enemy out there, right? We're not supposed to be the enemy here in this, in this room, okay? We're supposed to be for each other, right? Now, also... We, we, the Bible's very clear, in Jude and in other places, that we do need to contend for the faith, right? We are to contend for the faith once delivered to the saints, okay? We are to call out, you know, serious or unbiblical error in the church. But I, I've seen it, and maybe you have too, where, you know, sometimes it, it may be tempting, and you may have seen somebody that, you know, acts like they're just, they're standing for the truth, when in reality, they're just using things as an excuse to shoot their brother down, right? That can happen. 1 Corinthians, I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 7. It says, Now therefore, there is utterly a fault among you, because you go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? In this Corinthian church, you're well aware they had problems, you know, to say the least. And one of the problems they were having was if people, you know, people in the church were mad at each other, they were taking each other to court to be judged by heathen judges instead of dealing with things amongst themselves. And Paul says that's utterly a fault among you. You're going to law with one another. Then he, it's, I think it's really interesting, the second part of that verse, he says, why do you not rather take wrong? You know, is that something that we really consider and think about doing much, just taking wrong? If somebody wrongs us, just taking it. He says, there, uh, why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded. That's, that's not a natural thing to do, right? But you know, the, the, the Bible uh, says that we're supposed to be ready to give an answer to anybody that asketh the hope that's in us, right? And when was the last time you know, somebody asked you that? What, what the hope? Of the, maybe the reason sometimes we don't get asked these things is because they don't see any hope within us. But if they saw us doing things like that, you know, suffering yourself to be defrauded once in a while, that, now that's different. That might make them think, what, you know, what is up with this guy, right? Matthew chapter 7, in verse uh, 3. Again, very, very basic teaching. We all know this. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother... 
Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, then shalt thou see clearly to cast the mote out of thy brother's eye. You know, basic teaching, right? How, when, I kind of mentioned already, you know, maybe, we're, maybe we're not always the one in the right. You know, sometimes when we have our own issues, it makes us, we can always see the sin in somebody else. That's easy to do. But can we see it in ourselves? And chapter 5 of the same, of Matthew, verse 38, says, And ye have heard that it hath been said, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. He says, you know, to, to resist not evil, but whoso shall smite you. Now, I, I'm not a pacifist. I don't think this verse is referring to that. There's been debate on this over the years. I think, you know, uh, where he's talking about, you know, you've seen that you know, I challenge you to a duel, slap him on the cheek with the glove or whatever, right? It's talking about personal insults here. Whoever, whoever, if somebody's going to insult you, sl- you know, smite you on the cheek, turn and give them the other, right? Especially amongst your brethren, Okay. If somebody's going to sue you at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Who, who, who would be willing to do that? Right? I don't know. It's something to think about. Are you, are, you, are you the kind of person that can do inconvenient things around the church cheerfully and, and not just you know, have to tell somebody about it? Right? Are, are you, like, are you the, the kind of, of Christian that if somebody in the church maybe however causes you some extra little bit of work or something, are you the one that has to run, hey, you, you know, because of you, I had to do such and such, right? If, if you leave the church tonight, if you, if you walk out that door in a little bit, and there's a candy wrapper laying on the floor or something, right? And as you, you're bending over to pick it up, do you think, oh, these stupid kids, they can't even put their junk in a trash can? Or, or do you think, are you grateful that we have children in this church to do such things, Right? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have rules. I mean, I don't want to see your kids eating pizza and pop in the sanctuary, right? We understand that, right? But, man, you know, the kids need to be taught somewhere. Maybe we could start looking at those sorts of things as opportunities to teach them things. You know, a lot of the bus kids that come in here, some of them don't know any better. That's a great, if you see a kid doing something like that, it's a great opportunity to show them, hey, son, you know, we don't do stuff like that. That's, when you do that, that shows disrespect for God's house. You disrespect God's house, that's like disrespecting the Lord. Those are, those, I think God allows those things to happen to us just so we can have opportunities to teach these kids sometimes. Right? Do you only talk about the children in our church when it's something negative? You know, or, or, or anybody for that matter, really, but you know, especially the children. You know, is it only, is it, the only time their name comes out of your mouth is it when they've done something wrong? Right? I sure don't like to hear people say stuff like, you know, I, I don't like kids. I, I, I like dogs instead. You know, that, that's, yeah, I've heard people say, you probably have too, and that, boy, that gets under my skin. It's like, you know, but it's, it's a good thing people didn't feel that way about you when you were a kid. You know what I mean? It's pettiness. What does Jesus think um, you know, when he, he gave so much for his church? I think about what he, he did on the, he was, he was crucified. Right, he was he was tortured, scourged, uh, nails put through his hands and his feet, and a spear stuck in his side. He suffocated on the cross. He, he he gave. That's not to mention all that he gave during his lifetime. 
he gave so much for his church. And then sometimes, how does he think about it when we sometimes get bent out of shape over nothing? Just petty nonsense. How does he, how does he really, do you think he would feel about that? If he had to be the, you know, judge of some of these matters that, that we go through sometimes, right? You know, James uh, tells us, that, that, you know, he talks about, you know, the, the passage where he says if somebody comes in wearing, uh, you know, fancy clothes and stuff, and you, you treat them with, you know, you, you give them a good place to sit or whatever, and somebody else comes in wearing rags and they're poor or whatever, and you, know, you, you can go sit in the back. James tells us that that is sin, to, to, to you know, to treat people like that, to, uh, to prefer one person over another like that. Except there actually, there is somebody in the Bible that you are allowed to prefer people over, and that's yourself. It says in Romans 12, 10, be kindly affectioned one to another, with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. So you are allowed to prefer people any, you know, be here, over yourself. Okay? You are allowed to do that. We're not supposed to treat each other like that, though, in the church. You know, it's, it's been observed many times that in the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments deal with our relationship to God. You have, you know, I shall have no other gods before me, uh, shall not make any graven images, bow down and worship, shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Those commandments are, uh, they, they, they show how we are to have relations to, to, the God, to, to the Lord. And then the, the last six, of course, you know, thou shalt not kill, commit adultery, steal, bear false witness, covet your neighbor's stuff. Those are, are, have to do with our relationship to our neighbor, right? But Jesus says that he, he gave us a new commandment. He said, I give you a new commandment to love one another. And Paul says in Romans 13, 10, that love is the fulfillment of the law. So all of those commandments can be summed up and fulfilled by one thing, just love your neighbor as yourself, right? And, and of course, love the, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And you'll have fulfilled the law. We know the, this, I'm not, I'm not going to read it because we're probably familiar with it anyway, but uh, the parable that Jesus gave of the unforgiving servant where, you know, the guy goes into the king, and he owes him a million dollars or whatever, and, and the king says, well, you're going to prison until you can pay it all, and he, he gets down on his knees and begs him for mercy and says, oh, you know, just, just be patient with me, and I'll pay you everything, and the king says, ah, you know what, just, you're good to go. I forgive you the debt. You, you're free to go. You don't have to pay me nothing, and then that same guy goes out and finds somebody that owes him five bucks and grabs him around the neck and chokes him and says, you pay me that thou owest, right, and then, and then he begs him for mercy, and he won't give it. He throws him into prison, you know, for such a minor thing. And I think that's, that's exactly the way Jesus sees us when we, when we fight with our, you know, our siblings here in the church, right? Jesus has forgiven us so much, such a huge debt that we could never pay. On the cross, he paid for us, and sometimes we just can't let something go that our brother said to us or did or, or whatever, arguing about whatever it might be. It doesn't matter. The Bible says that uh, the pagans are supposed to know that we're Christians by our love, not for the world, not for games and entertainment, but our love for each other. The hymn says that too, right? They'll know that we're Christians by our love. I'll t- turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace. 
There, there's many, many verses, many passages I could have gone to. We, we wouldn't have no way near have time to go through all of them tonight. But th- these are instructions for, that were being left for the church. We're supposed to keep a unity in our, in our church, a bond of peace, forbearing one another in love. Look in verse 31 of the same chapter. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You know, I, there's, a, there's a story I, I want to tell you, and I, I was kind of debating on whether I should, it would be appropriate for me to tell you this from the pulpit or not, but I think it would be helpful. I don't need to use any names or anything, but, you know, we're, uh, working in the bus ministry for a while, some of the kids that you, you pick up on the bus are, are you know, their parents are nice people, whatever, and, and some of them are, you know, Maybe not so much. Uh, some, some of the kids are well cared for. Uh, others, you go to their, these houses and not. You know, uh, sometimes they, they get on the bus and they're, uh, they're dirty. You know, they, they may not have very nice clothes. Uh, sometimes it's obvious that they haven't taken a bath for probably two months. And it wasn't all that long ago, I, I picked up a particular kid and, and it, it was that way. I mean, it was obvious that it did this. It was overpowering, you know, when this, this person got on the bus. And I kind of complained to the Lord a little bit about it. I said, Lord, you know, what, what, why are they, what's wrong with these people? Don't the parents know that, you know, what's, how come they can't, don't they, you know, why do I have to go through this? And then it was just like kind of all of a sudden it's like the Lord just hit me with a board and said, yeah, I know, but uh, what do you think your sin and your pettiness smells like to me? I had to repent of that pretty quick. Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 14, he says, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And I'm I'm not going to go down some rabbit trail about, well, yeah, you know, it's only faith that saves us, but, you know, this Look, just don't miss the point of what Jesus is trying to say. Unforgiveness should not characterize a Christian. Right? He's, he's very clear about it. You, if, if you're saved, you're going to forgive your fellow Christian their trespasses. Now, we're not perfect. You're not going to maybe do it all the time, but that is what we are supposed to be. That is how we're supposed to treat our brothers in Christ. If you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive yours. So if, if you've got something, anything against a brother or sister, you'll make it right. That's what the Bible calls you know, a, sweet save, a sweet savor to the Lord. I'm going, to, I'm, going to just, I'm going to close with a couple verses. Um, James chapter 3, next one I want to read, in uh, verse 15. No, that ain't right. Yeah, there it is. I, I think it was this one. Uh, it says in verse 17, rather, uh, James three seventeen. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated. Are you easy to be entreated? I was talking to my wife about that. You know, is it, is it easy for somebody to approach you if there's a problem, right? Full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. I've probably glossed over that verse, you know, a hundred times. Where, you know, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace, right, by them that make peace. Do you make peace in the church? That will sow righteousness if you do that. The last verse I'll, I'll read to you is in Matthew chapter 5 again. We'll be done. 
Matthew 5, verse 9, kind of going along with that. Jesus Christ, he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And as, a, as the family of God, that's, we're, we're God's children. We should be making peace with each other. Thank you.